0: Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app, available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. I want to talk this morning about something that is vital to your life and vital to your relationship with God. It's something that's something all of us need and something that will make such a huge difference in our life. It's called trust. So we want to take a look this morning at what trust looks like, what trust is, and give you a picture of trust and then how we can grow and develop in trust. Trusting in God. Trusting in God is something that we have on our currency in the 1950s. They put, in God we trust, and it, they made it legislated, it's all on our currency. I don't know if they would pull that off today. I'm glad they did it in the 50s. It's important to have that as our national motto. That is our national motto still, in God we trust. And it's good to have that as a national motto, but can I tell you that you need even more than a national motto? That needs to be a personal motto. And I'm going to do a series called In God I Trust. Because trusting in God needs to be more than just a national mantra. It needs to be a personal mantra as well. To trust means to put put our confidence in someone or something and the honesty and integrity of something. There's a good chance, and I'm, I'm just going to, go out on a limb here, that you did not check the chair that you're sitting in before you sat down on it. You just trusted that it, it's bolted to the floor. It's going to hold you. You just sat straight down. You say, well, Alan, you know, is, is that unusual? We used to have chairs you would check before you sat down on. And uh, we're so glad we have better chairs today. But you, you trusted that, that we put good chairs out there and you sat down on them. There was a, a trust factor there. There was a confidence there. Who do we trust in? Well, a lot of times people say, well, I I trust in myself. Well, there needs to be an element of trust in yourself. A number of years ago when I was working with another company, they sent me down to Baton Rouge and to New Orleans to do an orientation. A young lady went with me. She was our orientation, head of our orientation. She was a pretty young single mom, and they sent us to Baton Rouge. First, we flew into Baton Rouge and then drove down to New Orleans. I never thought anything about it. Um, I trusted myself. Joy trusted me. We were down in New Orleans. I'd never been to Bourbon Street. So she and I went down to Bourbon Street. If I never go to Bourbon Street again, I'm going to be okay with that. I just, man, that is, that place. It, it's, that, you, you leave there, you feel like you just won't take a bath. It's a slimy place. But we're walking around Bourbon Street. Like I said, she's a pretty little blonde-headed girl. And we come across uh, a couple with a baby, cute little baby. This, this girl that I'm with, she's, she's a Christian, she's bubbly, smiley, and she leans down and she says, oh, what a pretty baby, and we're just coo- she's cooing over the baby, and then she points at me, she said, his wife is back at home, she's about to have a baby too. <laughs> if looks could kill, that woman would have killed me dead, I'd have dropped right there on the spot. <laughs> she looked at me like, you dog! you're a dog! what are you doing? <laughs> And I'm like, uh, no sense in explaining anything. <laughs> so I remember, when I, I remember when I came back, I told Joy, I said, I- I'm not going to do that again. He said, Alan, don't you trust yourself? I do trust myself, but the scripture said, don't let your good be evil spoken of. And I don't want to keep putting myself in a position that something could happen. I do trust myself, but you also need to be aware of where we have weak areas. I stopped, I stopped drinking about 40 some years ago. You could line up the finest alcohol in the, in the world and you could wave it in front of my nose and go, what do you think, Alan? I'm like, I don't need it. I don't need it. But if you have a problem with alcohol, don't hang out in a bar. It's just, you have to learn where you can trust yourself. We trust ourselves. We trust the experts. But a word of caution here. Not everyone who says they're an expert is an expert. And just because it's on YouTube does not mean they 're an expert. so you you hey, I, I read some story about some man who put all of his his family's life savings in cryptocurrency. He trusted the experts, he lost it all and so you know what? Listen to the experts, that's wonderful, but you really need to listen to God. Now I was talking to Dr. Ellen Moore. She's she like I said, she's brilliant, she knows what she's talking about. She said something I thought is is, is so important for parents. She said today parents are just barraged by all these experts telling them what's best for their child and what they need. And you've got you've got the school system and I appreciate our school administrators and teachers, but you've got a system out there telling, we know what's best for your child. Let me tell you something. God gave you your children and you can trust him to know what's best for your children. The experts do not have to call the shots. You can listen. You can weigh it out. You say, but my doctor told me. Well, you know, my doctors in the, in the 80s and 90s, you remember in the 80s and 90s, every kid had ADD. You remember that? It, it, it was, every child had ADD. Some of them just needed a spanking, but every child had ADD. And they used to, oh, I'm making friends today, people. I just, uh, but what I'm saying is this, just because an expert says it, you can ask God, you can trust him, that he knows what's best for your child. And you can lead your child and go in the right way. We trust the experts. We trust one another. Close relationships especially. In fact, trust is the currency of any good relationship. You know, I've announced today that we're doing a survey. We're going to have to change the service times. If you trust us, you realize we are not personally trying to jack with your life. You're not going to leave here going. I, I know they're doing it because I know. I know. No. 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 That's not why we're doing it. We're doing it so we can reach the most people at the best time. That's all the reason we're doing it. We're not trying to mess with your life. I don't like change for change's sake. And if you think that's bad, we used to have three services. Remember that? You say, well, why don't we go back to three? No, thank you. So we're going to go to two. <laughs> but if there's a trust there, it's not a problem. There's a man went into the hospital. He'd been sick for a long time. His wife went with him. They ran a number of tests and the, and the doctor called the wife in. He said, I need to talk to you. She sat down. Doctor looked serious. She said, Doctor, is it serious? He said, yeah, it's serious. He could die unless you do the following things. He said, he can't eat any kind of processed food. He doesn't need, he doesn't need um, restaurant food. He, you, you need to home cook his meals. He, he needs to start with the big breakfast in the morning and he needs to come home and have lunch, you need to do a full lunch for him. And then when he comes home for dinner, he needs a hot meal. Again, no everything organic, everything healthy, no preservatives, he needs a hot meal. Three hot meals, home-cooked hot meals a day. She said, anything else? She said, yes. He can't really deal with stress, so don't argue with him at all. Just let him <laughs> let, let, do, let him do what he needs to do, but don't, don't argue with him at all. She said, doctor, is there anything else? He said, yeah, there's one more thing. He really cannot do any household chores. He needs to relax. <laughs> And he he needs to to sit still, he he needs to be real calm. She said, thank you for sharing that with me. Doctor, can I see him now? He said, yeah, you can see him. She walked in the room, he he took one look at her face. He said, honey, what's wrong? She burst into tears, she said, the doctor says you're gonna die. (laughs) We need to have trust in our close relationships. (laughs) But more than anything else, we need to learn, and it's a learned thing, we need to learn to put our trust in God. And that's something where a lot of times people say, well, you either trust God or you don't. No, no, that's a process. You can actually learn to trust God. You can learn to trust him. You make choices, and then it's, a, it's something that you can do, and you can develop that, and your trust in him can grow, just like your trust in a relationship can grow and develop. Your trust in God can grow and develop. So don't think, well, I just, I'm one of these people that can't trust. You can trust. You can trust Him, especially when you know how good He is. In Psalms 34, 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in Him. Those two are connected. When you know He's good, it's easier to trust. Now, some of you know right now, if if you had a hard time and you hit a problem, who would you call? Or you're thinking of somebody, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's your spouse, someone who you know will be good to you. And if you know they're good and they're good to you, boy, it makes it so much easier to trust them. Back in the early 90s, before everyone had a cell phone that sat right beside their bed, uh, used to, the phone would ring and you had have to go get up and answer it. Anybody remember those days? Google it if you have to, but it, it would... Uh, <laughs> the phone would ring and so I'm sound asleep one night and the phone rings at 2 o'clock in the morning when you, I don't know about you but if I hear a 2 o'clock phone call I'm not thinking something good like you won the lottery or you know a rich uncle died and left you a fortune you're thinking there's a problem here the phone rings at 2 o'clock in the morning and I answer it and, and I hear a voice it goes Alan and I knew exactly who it was it was my best friend from college he said Alan he said Man, he said, Stacy just had a baby boy. He just just had his first child. And he was so, now this guy and I, man, we were party buddies in college. We became brothers in Christ together. And we're still best friends today. And he called me. He was just so excited. You know how it is with the first one. You're so excited with the first one. You're so excited with the second one. By the time Michael showed up, we were kind of like, I'll wait a couple days before I call anybody. I just... <laughs> but he was, he was just pumped up and he talked to me and he was, it was two o'clock in the morning. But he's excited and I'm excited for him. We're best friends. And before he hung up the phone, he said, I knew I could call you. He said, I knew I could call you. Because he knew I was his friend. He knew I was good to him. He knew he could trust me to not chew him out for calling him at 2 o'clock in the morning. He knew I would be excited. When you know God's good, then it's easier to trust him. When you know he's good, that he's, he's going to take your call at 2 o'clock. He's going to listen to you, and he's not going to rebuff you. When you know God's good, it's a lot easier to trust him. Let me show you a picture of trust It's in the Bible, it's a a great picture where Jesus has an encounter with a man and you see his trust in Jesus and he makes an adjustment. It's found here in John 4 chapter. Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he'd made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. And the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. And he inquired of them the hour when he got better. They said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives and he himself believed in his whole household. It's a great story. This guy comes to Jesus, and he must have thought that Jesus had answers for it, because from Cana, uh, from Capernaum to Cana is 25 miles. We have no indication. He didn't jump in the car. He didn't have a car. We have no indication that he, he drove a, a donkey or, or had even a chariot. So there's a good, good sense that he walked the 25 miles to come see because he believed Jesus had answers for him. And he must have believed that Jesus was good because why would you ask someone to walk 25 miles with you back home? But he was a nobleman. He was accustomed probably to getting his way. He was desperate and he believed that Jesus was good because he asked something big. He said, would you, sir, would you come down? His confidence was in Jesus coming and praying for his boy. But Jesus looked at him and really challenged him to believe without seeing. Jesus said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you won't believe. And he didn't even get it. It's like, it just kind of went over his head. He's like, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus looked at him and said, go your way. Now, we don't say go your way anymore. He wasn't telling him to go on, get out of here. He was just, he's basically saying, go on your way, your son lives. And this guy made an adjustment. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. His actions revealed his trust in Jesus. His actions revealed that when Jesus spoke that word, he walked away. So he left the presence of Jesus. He never left the promise of Jesus. He carried that promise with him. And Jesus said he lived. And I'm sure he probably repeated that to himself. Jesus said he's alive. In fact, he didn't even walk straight home. This happened about two o'clock in the afternoon. He went and spent the night there. And then the next day, he's walking home. You was about trust. It's not like he could text and go, how's he doing? It's not like he could make a call. He had to trust that what Jesus said was going to be true and he waited till the next day. But when he stepped in the next day and his his servants came and met him and, and they found out this boy was alive, oh my God. He said, when did it happen? He said, yesterday, the same time that Jesus said it, the same time he believed it. And the Bible said he believed in his whole household. You know, his confidence impacted an entire household. Do You realize, listen, I know some of you are saying, "Alan, I'm the only Christian in my family. I'm the only Christian in my workplace. I'm the only only Christian for miles around. No, let me tell you, you're not the only Christian for miles around, but you realize your confidence can impact other people, and your confidence in God can impact your family as well. So you just keep on believing. They need somebody who trusts in God. So how do we trust in God? How How do we begin to develop that trust in God? A trust in God means we go to God for answers. We go to Him for answers. You say, well, I can't, how can I go to Him for answers? You can put that up there, guys. That's the first one. We go to Him. He say, well, how do I go to Him? Because He's not there. That's what prayer is all about. Prayer. Listen, when you pray, you don't have to use some, some fake voice. You don't have to talk like this. And then when you pray, you go, oh, Oh, God. Because the Lord's probably going to go, would you talk to me in a normal tone of voice? Because I know how you talk and that ain't it. <laughs> your English doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to be old English. And people say, well, I just don't know that God hears my prayers. <laughs> have you ever done this? Now, you don't have to raise your hands. Well, not before I came to the Lord. I had a, had a pretty, pretty foul mouth. I cussed a lot. And so after I came to the Lord, I really stopped cussing. But every now and then if I slipped, I would say, I'm sorry, Lord. You ever heard someone do that? You, you, they're walking around, and man, all of a sudden they cuss. And they go, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I, no, no show of hands. I'm not, I'm not pointing at anybody, but, it's just, but if you ever notice that we think God will hear us when we cuss, why don't we think He hears us when we pray? So, so instead of, so here's, the, here's a good thing to do. To say when you pray, say, Father, thank you that you hear me, and you can go to Him in prayer. And then you can go to him, another way to go is in, in, in his word. Reading the Bible. I know sometimes you can think, Alan, you're always on be reading the Bible. Why? Why are you on? Do you get brownie points in heaven if the majority of the church reads the Bible and when you get to heaven you get like extra gold stars from God because you talked everybody into reading the Bible? No. That is not it. I want people to read their Bible because that's God speaking to you and that's God's, his voice to you. And then when you, the more you read, it strengthens you on the inside. That's why I'd like you to read the Bible. In fact, the psalmist said this way. He said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Lord knows we need light and lamps today because when it's dark, we need his light. My mom was agonizing when I was in college because I'd made a decision as a freshman to receive Jesus. And by the time I was a sophomore, I'd walked away from him. I had no church. I had no friends that, that believed in God. I had a bunch of party buddies. And I went from just loving the Lord to living, living as wild as I used to. And it broke my mother's heart. She's up one morning early in the wee hours of the morning. And she's praying. She can't sleep. And she finally got quiet and she opened her Bible. And, the book, and there's a book of Isaiah, and she's reading in Isaiah, and there's, a, there's a, a, a verse that says, I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your seed. And when she read that, something came alive to her on the inside. Let me tell you something, guys. God's not dead, he's real, and he can still speak to us by his spirit, and he took that word that just took, and it was like Jesus talking to her going, here's a promise. I'm gonna pour my blessing and my spirit on your offspring. My offspring was me and my sister. Both of us were away from the Lord and both of us are back and God has poured his spirit out but when she got that promise it brought a rest to her because she trusted God's going to do it. Can he still do that? Yes. Can he still talk to us today? Yes. He never stopped talking and so he can still talk. So as you read your Bible and a verse begins to highlight, stop right there. That's God talking to you. Go to him for answers. Second thing Go ahead and put it up, guys. Believe without having to see or feel first. This is how we live. This is how we walk. The Bible said that we walk, 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, we don't have to see it. I I know you've heard this. Well, when I see it, I'll believe it. That is not a scripture. (laughs) Here's a scripture. When I believe it, I'll see it. Remember, Jesus told one woman, he said, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. But in, in the way we live, we live differently. The way we live, we don't have to, I'm, gonna not, I'm not gonna believe it till I see it. The way we go is, I believe it and then I'll see it. We take the step of believing to come to a place of knowing. And so we, we believe without having to see, without having to feel anything differently. That's how we live this life. That's a life of trust. I saw uh, a, a television uh, clip recently about a young man who is an extreme skier. These extreme skiers, they don't take just like regular ski slopes. They go down crazy places where there aren't slopes and there's boulders and cliffs and stuff like this. The young man's 15 years old. That's impressive enough, but he's legally blind. His, 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 his name is Jacob Smith. His vision is 20 by 800. Now, 2020 is good. 2,800, not so good. That means the big E on the chart, remember the big E? They had to blow it up four times its normal size for him to see it at 20 feet. Brother is legally blind. He said, well, how does he ski? Well, his brother, Preston, takes him up and leads him up, because the lifts don't even go where he skis. So he leads him up there, and right before he drops off on what looks like a straight-down vertical thing, he's got a two-way radio in his pocket, turned up full blast, and he's got his father, Nathan Smith, at the bottom of the hill who is guiding him every step of the way. So his, his father tells him, in fact, his father said, it's on me on how he does. He said, he's trusting me to guide him through narrow shoots. He's trusting me to guide him so he doesn't go off a cliff. He's trusting me. And they asked they ask Jacob, they said, do you trust your father? He said, enough to turn right when he says so. <laughs> but I think... What a great picture of trust. In fact, the father said, Nathan only skis with people he can trust. Well, duh. I mean, I hope so. That makes sense. But listen, if that father, you know that father, wants to do everything he can to help that young man Make it safely down. We have a heavenly father who's even better than that. And his, his instructions in our life, if he says, go right, go right. If he says, go left, go left, he wants the best for you. He's not trying to punish you. He's trying to help you. We walk by faith. We walk by trust. We don't walk by sight. And so if it works for that young man, I'm thinking, well, if he can trust his dad, I can trust my heavenly father and he'll be good to me. How about this? If we're going to, if we're going to develop trust in God, We need to go to him for answers. We need to be willing then to to believe without having to feel or see something. And that's not easy. You have to train yourself that way. We also, we need to do one more thing, if you put it up. Trusting him will produce peace in uneasy times. If we trust him, it'll produce peace. I I want to read a a, a passage. I love it. It's in Jeremiah. It's a great passage. It's in Jeremiah 17. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. That's a key phrase. His heart departs from the Lord. He'll be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Would you leave that up there just for a second? When he was saying whose heart departs from the Lord, you really have to define people who don't have a heart for God at all. I recently read a, an author. Her name is Eleanor Margolis. And Eleanor, Eleanor Margolis wrote something. She said in the 21st century, she said, our religion is uncertainty. She's agnostic. And she, she didn't believe in God at all. And she's saying, she's saying I, I, I don't believe in God she said, and so as an agnostic, she said, I have to make peace with uncertainty. She said, I wish. She said, I wish I had a God I could believe in. She said, when the, when the Russians invaded the Ukraine and the threat of nuclear war, she said, it made me so, un, un, I was so unnerved, I almost wanted to become a nun. She said, because I want a God. She said, when my mom was dying of cancer, she said, I wish I had a God I could believe in. I I wish I could find that young lady and go, there is a God you can believe in. There is a God. But if you don't have that, there's not a peace there. She said, I'm uneasy. She said, I have to make peace with being uneasy. How many people are out there are making peace with being uneasy and uncertain? And as they look at the times, they go, you, you you never know, you never know. But there's a contrast here. Because it says, blessed is the man who trusted the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. It said, he shall be like a tree planted by the, by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of recession. Oh, didn't say recession, but it's same thing applies. Recession and drought, same thing. Nor will cease from yielding fruit. What's it saying? It's saying that when times get uneasy and when times get hard, we don't have to be afraid because our hope is not in man, it's not in government, it's not in the world being at peace. Our hope is in a God who never fails. And because we have our roots in him, then when things are rough, we're still doing good. Say, Alan, are you afraid about what's going on in the world? I see what's going on in the world. It's troubling, but I'm not afraid because I know where my hope is and I know who I'm trusting. And I know if they say, well, what if a nuclear war? If a nuclear war hit, I know exactly where I'm going and it's going to be better than it is here. I'm not worried. And when we trust him, fear doesn't dominate. You see it, it doesn't dominate. Recession, the fears of recession, they don't dominate because we're tapped into another economy. I got my roots in something that's bigger than what's going on around me. I got my roots in God. I trust in him because he's good. My wife went a number of years ago to, uh, to Italy with her, her family. Joy is Italian, 100% Italian. Family, knew all kinds of people. We questioned whether some of them were in legitimate businesses or not, but it was, uh, kept me on the straight and narrow. But anyway, um, we, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not joking. Um, uh, she, went to, she went to Italy. She went, she actually got lost in the, in the Vatican, which I'll let her tell that story. It's a great story. Fortunately, they found her. But uh, it, she said the Sistine Chapel is beautiful. Now, if you know anything about the Sistine Chapel, it was printed by whether or not you... If if you're from Texas, you say Michelangelo. If you're from everyone else, it's Michelangelo. I'm from Texas. Uh, And so he painted it, remember, four years on its back, painting the the frescoes in the the Sistine Chapel, 1500s. The only light source they had in there for hundreds of years were candles. And so the, the soot would rise, and over the years... The, the soot and the grime and the dust begin to obscure all the painting. And so they wanted to do a restoration. Now here's what's interesting: the art, the art world believed that Michelangelo was a genius when it came to composition. They said what he put together was amazing. It just it, how, for example, he does God's finger-reaching out. God. We've seen very famous. God's finger reaching out towards Adam. They said his composition was brilliant. They said his coloration was mediocre. They said the Sistine Chapel, it was dark. It was monochromatic. It means all kind of like the same color. It was gray. And so they thought even though his composition was really amazing, his coloration was in. So in the mid 80s, they decided to restore that. It took them, I think, 10 to 12 years to restore those frescoes. And as they restored them, they discovered something amazing that the colors were not monochromatic, that the actual colors of the fresco were pale pinks, apple green, vivid yellow, sky blue, pearly gray. And the art world had to make a change. And the art world had to say, hey, not only was he a genius in his composition, Michelangelo was a genius in his coloration. It changed the art world's view of Michelangelo. You know, in life, I'm concerned that the soot and the grime and the dust of life has discolored so many people's view of God. There's so many people know that God is powerful, but life has covered up the fact that God is good, that he is merciful, that He's good not only is he good he'll be good to you he's someone you can trust so I'm hoping over this series God's word the Holy Spirit and these messages can begin to give us a restoration of the fact we serve an awfully awfully good God who's not just powerful but merciful and kind and loving and good to you would you bow your head for a moment heads are bowed eyes are closed please no one leaving we'll be out of here in just a couple of minutes it's Hotter than you want to experience out there anyway, so stay here. This morning, if, you're, if you came and you said, you know, Alan, I don't I, I don't have a relationship. I don't know that I've ever asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I, I relate to that uncertainty that's in my life, I, and I don't want it to be there. Or maybe you're here, and you're like I was. You had a de- made a decision for Christ, and you got away from Him. And life is just maybe the, the the dust and the soot and the grime of life is just discolored that whole relationship with the Lord and you realize, man, I need to come back to him. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. and No one's looking around. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to call you down to the front, but we're going to say a prayer. And this is a powerful prayer. This is a a prayer to connect with the one who loves you more than anyone else. The one who's got wonderful plans for your life. If you're watching online, this is a a wonderful prayer for you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're one of the ones I'm talking to and you say, Alan, that is me. That you're talking to. I want that relationship with the Lord. I know I need to I need to restore that relationship that I had. Would you pray for me? Would you shoot your hand up just real quick across this auditorium? Say that's me. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. Thank you. Great. Put your hands down. We're gonna pray. If you didn't lift, if you'd maybe say, hey, I I just I just couldn't felt like I couldn't lift my hand. That's that's okay. God sees hands. It's good to lift your hands, It's good to acknowledge, but he sees hearts, so this is a great prayer. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. If you're watching online, you can pray it by yourself. Pray it out loud. If you're with others, pray it quietly. If you're here, pray this with us together. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you. As my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ. Because I said yes to you. Heads are still bowed, eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for those who've stepped out of spiritual darkness into the light, and those who've come back into the light, those who've come back home, we rejoice with them because we know you have such good things planned for them. And we rejoice with them. And Father, for the rest of us, thank you that our trust in you is growing. Thank you that our trust in you is being restored. Thank you that you are someone we can really, really trust. We give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We hope this message has blessed you. We have services every single Sunday at 9 and 1030 and Wednesday nights at 7. We'd love to see you here. Have a great week.